Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show. So fired up. Today is Marketing Madness. We are going to have some fun. Welcome to our officially renamed, new name, Disruption Blueprint podcast with none other than the legend in our industry, marketing maven, Kelly Waltrich. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Shen. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. Co-founder of Intentionally, I would say the hottest marketing agency in our industry. I'm just going to go out that go ahead and put it out there. It's so good to be with you. Yeah. Great to be with you too. Thank you so much for having me. And I, you know, I try every day to live up to your amazing introductions. So continue to do that. (laughs) I felt like as we were getting started, I was like, we need some walk on music. We're talking marketing. We're talking branding. Oh my gosh. So funny story. I had, I set my team up for an event at eMoney back years ago and the guy was going on to do an eMoney demo and I secretly told them to give him Taylor Swift walk on music. So that has been following me my whole career. Which song? <laughs> he was shaking it off on his way. Oh, shake street. it off. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to dig into all things marketing today for advisors, but before we get started, I wanted you to give a quick introduction, why you found it intentionally and how it's going being, you know, an entrepreneur. Oh, yes, I would love to. So intentionally, just so everyone knows, is a growth consultancy and marketing agency for financial services exclusively. I, for the past 10 years, have spent my career as the CMO of eMoney and then of the amazing Orion and I decided in the pandemic that our industry needed a agency that really understood this business and the complexities of it and the nuances, but also embraced really modern marketing. And so we're trying to marry those two things every day to bring greater opportunities for growth for all of our clients. And we're having a ball doing it. So, Well, I love that you framed it up because I think this is why we're talking marketing magic today, because it's modern marketing. And financial advisors are sitting here with this unbelievable opportunity in front of them because as an industry, we haven't been awesome at branding and marketing. Yeah, I think we've always just relied on the next referral. I think that that's the way this business has always been. And the world is shifting the way consumers are making decisions is shifting the way People are thinking about the service providers and their life is shifting. So it's just a really good moment for all of the advisors, especially those listening to this podcast, to rethink the way that marketing is integrated into their business on a daily basis. Let's start there. And that's kind of like building blocks. Like might seem super obvious, but when we look across the board at the marketing that's being done, I think it's worth digging in and starting here, which is like, why why does branding and marketing even matter to a financial advisor? I think sometimes 
it's so obvious, but we forget to do it and look at the way that we make decisions in our own lives. And when it comes down to it, people like to work with people that they like and that they can relate to and that they believe understand the challenges that they're facing. And so your brand is the only, the best and only way to project that out into the market. And so I think that it's so important to make sure that you look at your brand and say, that is a true reflection of who I am, what I believe in, and the type of people that I want to attract to me. It's really interesting because, you know, we're both big fans of Mr. Uh, Daniel Crosby. I guess yes. officially, is he Dr. Daniel Crosby with all those degrees? He, he is. I think yes, he's he a doctor. Is. And, you know, he loves to share. And I think one of the most powerful slides that I have seen him present is encapsulating the study that was done about what people value in their financial advisor. And you just hit on them. In that study, they said there's three things clients value the most. Do you share my values? Do you get me? And do I want to spend time with you outside the office? So we've, as an industry, have approached branding and marketing through this lens of financial planning and asset allocation and our love, our like all heart love for jargon. Mm -hmm. And none of those things are what you just talked about, modern marketing, which are values. How do I make you feel? And who am I as a person? Right, exactly. And I think, you know, we're going to come back to this later on. But I, I really think that if you take nothing away from what Shannon and I are talking about today, that should be it. You should walk away from this podcast. You should say to yourself, is my brand a reflection of who I am and what I feel and what I believe? And you have to feel so passionate about it. I think that the RFG brand, Shannon, is such a good example because I think that the brand that you've built for RFG really reflects the energy that you have about the business. And for those of you that know me, and if you read things that I write, I make sure that it reflects my slightly sassy, somewhat authoritative, but also fun view of the way that marketing, and we pick the words very intentionally, don't we? I know you do for your brand. I know I do for mine, and I think all of you out there should be thinking about your brands in the same way. Which is part of the why I love that you named your company intentionally, because when you were brainstorming and I was fortunate enough to have a little bit of a peek into what you were thinking about doing, the word intentionally is actually one that I've found once you claimed it as your company name is something that I use all the time in talking about branding and marketing. And it's, we're living in a sea of sameness in this industry. And that is why you know, I'm so excited about this podcast and this content and the work that you guys are doing at Intentionally, because we're gonna paint a new canvas and clients are expecting more and advisors at the end of the day their superpower, what they're so awesome at is connecting with people. They build trusting relationships. They are in the communication business, essentially. And yet for compliance reasons or fear of looking silly or saying the wrong thing or tagging the wrong hashtag or whatever it is, we really haven't gone I mean, I almost feel like we're in preschool as an industry as it relates to other consumer facing service oriented experience 
in our branding, our messaging, and our prioritization around marketing. Yep. I think that's spot on. And I think it comes from the fact that compliance has had such a heavy hand in marketing for financial services for so long. And I think that that started to lighten up a little bit. But I think everybody's very much afraid um, when they shouldn't be. And I also think that because advisors are so used to getting their next piece of business through referral, they they don't yet believe in the power that marketing can have. Ultimately, if you define the role you want marketing to have in your business, and I firmly believe that it should be to tee up opportunities to bring on new clients, if you look at it that way and align your goals accordingly, I think you start to reframe and rethink the role that marketing plays and the way you think about it in your business. So keep going down that, because I think that's a really important, I want to dig in a little bit more on what that means. So when you're building a brand specifically, if you're going to tie um, the role and tee up the opportunity to bring on new clients, what are the factors that you should be paying attention to? So I'm, I, I, And let's pretend either I have a brand that I haven't nurtured or we got yeah. a clean whiteboard. So, and you and I had this conversation multiple times. I think that your starting point should always be, what are my goals? And in most cases, your goals are going to be to drive AUM. What can you afford to spend on client acquisition? What does that look like for your firm? What are you willing to spend? And then back into the ways and the channels and the activities that align to that spend. And that probably sounds very difficult, but it's much easier than you think. And, you know, Shannon, following this podcast, I would be happy to help anybody that needs help doing that because it is just sort of a quick session to say, all right, I want to add X dollars in AUM next year. I know that my marketing budget, I feel comfortable spending X. What can I do with that most impactfully? to drive new opportunities. And sometimes that's gonna be put more effort into your social media. Sometimes that's gonna be refine your brand to be a better representation of yourself. Sometimes that's gonna be, let's take a look at what digital marketing looks like in our space. And is that something that I should wade into based on my target audience and my, my budget? So there's lots of different combinations of things that you can be doing, but it all comes back to what are your goals And what do you feel comfortable spending to get to them? And, you know, a little bit of self-reflection and honesty here, because I have tripped over the like, and it's not necessarily what can I afford to spend on client acquisition. It is how, like, we're math people. We love a formula. So, you know, what is the appropriate amount to spend on client acquisition? So said differently, Is there a rule of thumb or a simple back of the envelope calculation that you can do to think about that just as a baseline? Like, do you think about it as, all right, what is the five year revenue that I will generate from a million dollar client? Do you think about it in a, I want to put $25 million of new assets into my practice? Like, is there any kind of quick rules or hacks that we could do on the back of an envelope for that cost? How much can I afford on client acquisition? Yeah, you know, I think that's a phenomenal question. You know, if you ask me what it costs to acquire an advisor, as I 
ran marketing at Orion, I could tell you the exact cost down to the dollar based on the attribution models that I I miss. I miss you, Eric. But I would say for advisory businesses, it's, it's in my experience and what I'm seeing amongst our clients is it depends on the demographic that you're going after. It depends on if you're looking national or in your backyard. It depends on if there's a specific niche. It gets more expensive when you target more. And it depends on the capabilities and skill sets that you have in terms of the different marketing activities that you're going to deploy. So once you go through and answer a couple of those questions and you can start to get really scientific about it. I know that's that's sounds probably to everyone very hard, but again, it's not it's not that difficult. I think if you think about um, let's frame it like this. So we all have Instagram today and you are talking to your family about something that you're interested in or you saw on you saw in a store, you saw on TV, Instagram is now listening to you. We all know that you start to get ads through your Instagram about these things that you were talking to your family about and you click on the ad. You don't buy right away, but you maybe the next time you see it, you buy. So that's how we start to think about what did it cost to get your attention? Um, and mm-hmm. it's very similar for our business. It's very similar. It's how much have you perfected your message so that you can get in front of people and get them to take action faster and more efficiently. And so it it ranges per firm based on the effort that you've put into your marketing, but you can get pretty scientific about it. I love that. And I bet uh, at Intentionally you're working on helping all of us math brains to put that into a framework, a decision-making framework. Our head of digital and demand, Jen, is actually going to put out a state of digital report that's going to give you a breakdown every month of what the cost of acquisition looks like across all of the different things that advisors are looking to, all the types of audiences advisors are looking to bring on as clients. So we are going to be launching that here in the coming months. And hopefully that'll be helpful. And when we do, we'll come back to your podcast and we'll, we'll show everybody how to use it. Oh, I love that. That'll be so fun. And I just have like, I have to admit that the this amazing hot pink blazer that I am wearing is totally a result of being stalked by Instagram, who was spying on me and listening to me talk about how I wanted a hot pink blazer. And all of a sudden it was like showing me the ad. I'm like, oh, they are so good at it. And the it's impulse buy is amazing. It is. And Everybody says to me, you're a marketer, so you probably don't fall for that stuff. It is the exact opposite. I am a marketer, so I know what went into getting that ad in front of me. So I'm like, yes, all these things. <laughs> I'm going to buy. Coming. Yes. Okay, so I want to talk about the sea of sameness. So we recognize you know, that this brand needs to be reflective of who I am and have an authentic voice so that it's going to connect with clients that I'm hoping to attract to my practice. So what are the specific factors or the questions that an advisor should be asking of themselves as they put pen to paper on defining their brand? I think it's, I think you're asking yourself, what are the specific things that the people in my life are magnetic to? What is most interesting about me? What what helps me relate to people? And sometimes, you know, I have a client and intentionally, he's one of my favorites. Um, he runs 
a broker dealer and he was so uncomfortable talking about himself so uncomfortable when we started with him and so his marketing was your normal marketing and now he is phenomenal at telling stories and the stories that he has are so amazing and people are captivated by his personal stories and we've just sort of watched the momentum shift in his direction because he was willing to open up and be more authentic and talk about himself and the decisions that he's made and why he's made them. Um, and you mentioned Eric Clark earlier too. And I think he's another really good example of that. I think he's always really good at relating his life and things that are happening around us to our business. So I think that's got to be a big part of it. So do you think as an exercise, as a takeaway, an action item from this podcast where you're looking at your brand as an advisor or thinking about the brand you want that you do you start bullet point or journaling some stories like give us some, you know, maybe some specific action items or some probing questions yeah. that you asked of that client to draw those stories, which have now informed his brand. Yeah. I honestly, the first thing I would do is take something that's representative of your brand, whether it's your website, homepage, your LinkedIn, whatever it is, an article that you've written, whatever, represents your brand and share it with your family and friends and just say to them, does this relate to me? Do you see me in this? Do you see me in this? And if the answer is no, then I think it's time to start revisiting what makes you who you are and what your best clients love about you. So I think that's the point where you start saying, right, what do my clients love about me? What do I do really well? How am I different? And I think going through that exercise and having the people that love you and know you best sort of say, no, that sailboat or that timepiece, you don't have a sailboat and you don't even wear a watch. Like, why is that all over your website? You know, these types of things. Or, you know, every advisor has a picture of retirees on the beach and maybe you don't go to the beach. So why? Um, right. So I just think it's a matter of just have people be real with you about whether your brand is a reflection of who you are. And I think that that's part of this disruptive mindset that you have to take to branding and marketing and this, you know, almost what you're saying, like hold up a mirror and really ask yourself some, some deep and probing questions yep. is that, you know, find me a website. We could sit here right now and pull up a Google, you know, search engine and Google advisors and we're going to find the same words. It's all going to be trust. Like, oh, what is my superpower? Because it's true, like an advisor superpower is building trust, acting as a fiduciary, thoughtful yeah. financial planning. So how do you, like, give us a little bit more. Like, so I'm going to, you know, does this brand, I'm going to print my website, for example, or my LinkedIn page, and it's going to have all those things on it. And you're going to show it to your spouse and they're going to say like, oh, yeah, honey, you are all those things. Well, yeah, so is every other advisor. So how do you... How do you kind of get comfortable or give us an example, a specific example of something that's a little bit more in your face yeah. of okay. who you are? Okay. So I'm going to go back to this person that I was talking about earlier. When we got him to open up about who he was, he lives in Nashville. He's crazy about the music scene. And he started to talk about his Dave Grohl moment. He said, you know, he told us the story of how Dave Grohl got this amazing opportunity. He was presented with to be part of a very well-known band. And he turned it down because he was going to write his own music. And he decided, if I never make a penny on it for the rest of my life, I don't care. And so this 
um, the head of this broker dealer that we work with, he said, I had that same feeling. I got this call. I got this job offer. It was amazing. If I turned it down, I was ridiculous. But I decided that that was my Dave Grohl moment. And I was going to say no. And if I never made a dollar in my life, I was going to do something that I loved and that I dreamed of and that made me happy and that I believed in. And so we started to tell that story. And Mm -hmm. you would not believe all the people who had that same moment in their life, in their career, and who wanted to talk about it. And so I think that he is a perfect example of opening up, using your personal stories, your personal moments to to connect with people. And I think, you know, yeah, it was awesome. And I think, you know, when I think about my own brand, you know, my personal story is that I ran marketing for the last 10 years and I worked with a ton of agencies. And at the end of every engagement, I was always left feeling like it could have gone better. I could have gotten more. I could have been working with somebody who understood me or the business a little bit better. And so I walked away saying, we need to create what this industry doesn't have. We need to have a whole slew of people who have lived it, breathed it, understand the vernacular, understand the intricacies of this business and the people working in it and what they care about and what they don't and marry that with modern marketing and be able to say to people that we are bringing the best of both of those worlds to you so that you don't walk away from an experience with a consultant or an agency or a marketer that leaves you wishing that it went differently, leaves you you wishing like you had gotten more out of it. I try to practice what I preach (laughs) sometimes. Um, So that's how we're And I think that's part of what makes, you know, let's just call a spade a spade. Marketing is really hard. And it's not, you know, this is not a natural place where advisors feel comfortable. It feels a little bit like self-promotional. It feels, you know, just I'm going to put myself out there. It's hard. And then there's a whole strategic technical aspect to it, which is also very professionalized. That's challenging for, you know, the advisor and the average person to, to quite honestly understand So how, as you know, we talked about all these different ways to approach, we recognize the need to spend in marketing dollars, but have you ever said, okay, what, what is the percentage of revenue I should spend on marketing? Like, I know I'm kind of coming back to something we've addressed, but I'm trying to give, because I think the biggest thing that I get from advisors when I talk to them about branding and marketing is that you can't draw a straight line. You can't draw a straight line from I've invested in my, you know, everything from my profile pictures to my website, to my LinkedIn page, to my social media content, to my client events, to my swag, to my maybe even digital ads, to my blog, to the client walking in the door and handing me a $2 million check. So we live in this, a little bit of this gray area ROI world with these marketing spend dollars. And so if we accept that we need to do this, that we're living in a sea of sameness, that there is a powerful personal narrative and story to tell, like, how do we get over that unquantifiable ROI? Okay. You asked a lot of questions in there, so I'm going to tackle them in order, I think. So I think I heard you first say, why is marketing so hard? And I think that the answer to that, and I actually had this conversation with my husband the other night, is when you hire teams across your organization, 
if you're hiring operational people, if you're hiring business development people, if you're hiring customer service people, whatever your business is, whatever it looks like, as you're hiring roles like that, those people all need similar skill sets. So you're gonna look for similar skill sets in all of the customer service folks that you're hiring. You're gonna look for similar skill sets in all the operational folks that you're hiring with maybe some slight nuances, but for the most part, the same profile. When you're building marketing, the skill sets are so wide and so different. You need social and digital and creative and, you know, the list is endless. Marketing, automation and technology, there's just to do it right. There's a lot of things. So I think people get overwhelmed by that and you don't have to because you can wade into it little by little and get more comfortable as you go. And you can also work with firms and consultants that have all of those resources and can help you support you. So I think that's why marketing is so hard because it's not one skill. It's right. 30 skills, 50 skills. Yep. And then in terms of... So can I have a quick sidebar? And I, yeah. I think uh, I'll come back. I know I buried a lot of questions okay. in there. <laughs> yes. So here's my public service announcement. On We just talked about how marketing is so hard. Yeah. Advisors, please, please, please don't think that your admins can do your marketing. Yep. Like we see that over and over and over again. These are hard things to do and expecting this admin who you've hired because they're awesome at building a rapport with your clients and getting all of your paperwork and workflows efficiently running is going to be able to take off both of those hats and put on this hat all of a sudden create social media. Right. I think that's such a good point. You have to really think of it as a skill, as many skills, and you have to, you know, you have to treat it accordingly, just like you would hiring any role on your team. It's something that you spend a lot of time perfecting and learning. I don't want to scare, scare you, anybody listening to this away from doing it, because like both Shannon and I have said, the results are amazing if you take the right steps to get there. Um, so don't by any means take us saying it's hard as a deterrent from, you know, taking steps in your marketing. You should absolutely. But I think what we're saying is you need to make sure that you find the right resources. You need to make sure that you yeah. you're guided in the right direction by the right people. OK, so your next question was ROI. So I think that you're right, that there is a little bit of gray area in marketing, but I would tell you that over the past several years, as everything moves to digital for the most part, unless you're running ads in your local magazines and newspaper, that it's all very, become very measurable. If you're posting to social, there are great tools and analytics to be looked at. If you're putting content on your website, there's great tools and analytics there. If you're running ads, if you're sending emails, all of these marketing things, it has all become much easier to track and measure than ever before. So I think, you know, Shannon, you asked earlier, what are some actionable takeaways? I think that getting a baseline understanding of where your activity is at this point in time, just taking a look at your social media activity, taking a look at your metrics on your website, just getting a baseline understanding of, okay, this is what I've got going on today. This is who, what my audience looks like. And then taking baby steps to increase that over time could be really impactful. Yeah. Yep. That's great advice. 
And then what about, is there a hard and fast rule on revenue, that percentage of revenue I should spend on marketing in a lot of other consumer facing industries? Like if you start peeling back some of the publicly traded, you know, brands out there um, and you can kind of run the gamut on what consumer brand we want to talk about. There are, you know, you're going to see some pretty significant dollars as a percentage of revenue. I mean, 10, 12% is not uncommon. That's actually the norm on a consumer facing brand. Yep. What about for our industry? Because I would say right now we're probably less than 1%. I know. That's so hard for me to hear. Um, You know, it's interesting when I first started working for Eric. I told him the budget that I wanted and I, he flipped over a napkin. He did some math that I never saw and he said, okay. And I knew in his head, he knew exactly what I needed to get to, to make that worthwhile. And ever since then I do that same sort of back of the napkin. Am I going to, is this, does this make sense? But I think I don't give a percentage and Shannon and I have talked about this before. I won't tell you, you need to spend a certain percentage of revenue. What I will tell you is that you need to know what your goals are. You need to know exactly how much AUM you want to bring in or how many advisors you want to recruit to your practice. And you want to know, you want to get over time more scientific around what it takes in terms of budget dollars to get to those goals. So for me, it's figuring out what your goals are and then the activity and the resources that you're going to put to getting to those goals versus a random you know, throw a percentage dart at a board at a percentage. Yeah. yeah. And, and I well, think and the I'll whole tell- goal, whoops, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the whole goal of marketing then is to try to do that more efficiently over time and bring down those costs. And what I will say, you know, kind of backing up what you mentioned earlier from my personal experience, you know, we're obsessed with branding and marketing, both at the firm level and for the advisors affiliated with our platform. We invest a huge amount of time and energy and resources and all facets of brand building. And I really believe that I am still very much a novice and that I have a tremendous amount to learn about climbing that ladder of expertise and understanding how to strategically deploy dollars and become more scientific in analyzing data. And what's so fun, and I say that because I think a lot of advisors will come up to us and we get asked questions all the time about like, oh, you guys are so awesome at marketing. We have very much a beginner's mindset on it. And we what's so awesome that I love about branding and marketing is we're painting with watercolor here, people. Like we're not out there like etching the next David. This isn't carving in stone. So you can afford to have this appreciation that I know a heck of a lot more now than I did two years ago, but I'm nowhere near PhD level on this stuff. And I'm going to keep learning. You know, I always call it, what are you cooking up in the lab? Like we're constantly in our laboratory playing with video and playing with social and playing with digital and playing with our website. I mean, we've now redone our website probably four times in the last, I don't know, four years because it's needed it. The brand has demanded it. Our message has evolved how we want to, we've gotten smarter and better at putting a finer point on 
that amplification of our brand and our values and how we're looking to connect with advisors and their clients. And so I, I say that because the hardest step is wading into the water. Yep. Like, so you've got to just start kind of walking in and, you know, you've heard me say a million times, like get comfortable being uncomfortable and you'll never be uncomfortable again. It applies to marketing. It certainly does. I think there's three, three mountains to climb in marketing. If you can think about it this way, the first is you're very much a lot of what you just described, getting out there, dipping your toe in the water, trying different things, figuring out what you're comfortable with, getting the word out driving activity and seeing the results of extra effort and extra resources and extra bodies talking about your message. And then the next mountain to climb is optimization. So now I do all these things. I understand all these things. I have a brand. I have feelings about what I'm comfortable doing and what I'm not. Now, how do I read the data to see, okay, which of this not only do I love and feel comfortable with, but is making an impact. And how do I optimize, tweak, change, adjust, evolve to do more of what's working and less of what's not? Yeah. And then the third mountain to climb is what we talked about earlier. And that is when it becomes more scientific. And that is when you have a brand that is more mature, that you have activities in place, that you have proven work. And you are then becoming scientific about exactly what you're doing to get to the result you're trying to reach. And that doesn't mean that you can't test and change and evolve and grow. That just means that you know that if you put this much effort, this much resources, this much activity on the table from a marketing perspective, that you're going to get this much output. And so I think there's those three very distinct levels of marketing that you have to climb. I have the benefit of a pen and paper. Um, so in summary, three mountains, mountain one, getting started, mountain two, optimization, mountain three, science. Yes. I think you got a new newsletter coming out. <laughs> I think so too. And what I love about that, Kelly, is, um, and why I think you're uniquely qualified to make that statement, especially as it relates to mountain three, science is the vantage point that you had at eMoney and at Orion. Both of those companies grew significantly when you were there. Both of those companies went through, they probably were already past Mountain One getting started, but you played a part in that optimization and science. And, and the insight that you gleaned, which I think is a really exciting frontier for all of us and for advisors, is in this science piece of it yep. where we really can like our efforts, our resources and our activity is now very clear line of sight to output. So an advisor is no more saying like, I want to grow 10% or I want to add 50 million of new assets or I want to do two succession plans or I want to attract like just rock star talent to my firm because I've already achieved my growth goals and now I just want to deliver a different level of service. Each one of those 
would translate into effort, resources, and activity. And if you can measure how you're putting those ingredients together, I mean, I know for me, that's my holy grail. Like we're in the optimization science stage of our marketing life. And, you know, I hope by the end of 2023 to be further along that path where things are really connected which brings us to how to connect technology. So yes. there is so much out there. Oh my gosh, for sure. So much out there on marketing tech. What, and, and so we're not gonna pick winners because there's a lot of great firms doing a lot of different awesome, awesome things. But yeah. what tech should advisors be looking at? I always the first thing i ask we have a new client questionnaire and the one technology i always ask about is marketing automation um and that can come in a lot of forms we have some great ones that are built specifically for our space and then there are some great ones bought built more broadly but i always ask first and foremost about marketing automation which is essentially another way of saying email marketing right just for everybody's understanding because a lot of these tools allow you to execute a blog post to social media, send emails, and build landing pages within them if you choose the right ones. And a lot of them even have greater capabilities than that. So I feel like I love that for financial advisors and your practices because I feel like one technology versus 10 is probably much easier to manage. And I feel like rather than you all trying to connect the dots between all of those things that I just said, there are a lot of marketing automation platforms out there that do that for you. All right, drop some names, sister. Uh, intentionally is a HubSpot partner. So um, we, we are a HubSpot partner. We love HubSpot for marketing automation. It integrates wonderfully with Salesforce. So there are a ton of them. Uh, marketing Cloud, Salesforce Marketing Cloud is another one. There's one called Marketo. Um, FMG Suite in our space has a version of a, a marketing automation tool. So there's lots of options, but us personally, we love HubSpot because of its usability. Why do you think so much of the tech, of FinTech dollars in the industry have been focused on optimizing the delivery of canned content and less on the amplification of brand advisors, unique brand identity? it's scalable to do what they're doing, right? And I'm sure every single one of them is very much in the same camp as I am where canned content is, I don't believe in, in canned content. I think you should be sending things that are personal to your business. That's what this whole podcast has been, a, been about. But I see the challenge. I see the challenge that, you know, these firms are trying to help the most advisors that they can. Um, and they're trying to do so in a way that's relatable to the highest number of advisors. So creating content that where they're doing it, it makes sense. And I don't necessarily think that there's not a place for that. I think that there's absolutely a way to infuse a lot of the great things that they're building and that they're creating and that they're writing into what you're doing. But I don't think that that can replace your efforts around personally created content. Is there a silver bullet in marketing? <laughs> A silver bullet. No, but <laughs> no, there's just not, there's just not, there's so many there, you know, there it's, it depends on so many things, but I would say creativity. If you, you have nothing, if you don't have that, I feel like at Ooh, the end of the day, it's all about, you know, we talked about it being a science and it certainly gets to that point, but 
creativity drives all 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 yeah. roads back to creativity and marketing, which makes it so fun. Oh, it's right? I was just about to say, like, I love branding and marketing. I love storytelling. I love hearing advisor stories. And but the funny thing is, once you get your like marketing wheels spinning, it's a little bit of an occupational hazard. You start to see like your life in a post. Like you'll have these moments and all of a sudden you'll be doing something and you're like, oh my gosh, that would be the most amazing post. So it once you get those creative <laughs> juices turned on, like I'll just warn you, there it's everywhere. Like the inspiration and the ideas are absolutely everywhere. Yes. I feel like too, you know, you have such a, you have such a creative mind and I can sit and do this for hours. So again, advisors, if you're listening, throwing it out there, I would love to have a creative brainstorm with you because this is what gets me up in the morning. I think Shannon, you too. But yeah, oh, I, I think on a four mile run this morning. I pretty much like I, I've, you know, <laughs> now like a hundred hours worth of content. I didn't, my AirPods were dead. So all I had was like, you know, the birds and it is most definitely August in Alabama. So it was like running in a swamp. So me and the crickets and a thousand marketing ideas uh, were generated. So yes, take her up on that. Let's talk about compliance because nothing kills our marketing buzz more. So I think that you're right. I think at least on the independent side of the equation that there is some evolutionary change happening as it relates to compliance's comfort level with social, with YouTube, with branding, with messaging. You know, we all obviously, we are a regulated industry. We all want to be very sensitive and be compliant. No one should be promising performance, all the best, all the basic stuff. But how do I think about compliance as I'm putting my brand together? I, so working with as many firms as we do and seeing the wide variety of compliance uh, levels of compliance oversight my first you know suggestion to everyone is to just understand the compliance professional that you're working with get a baseline talk to them what are your no goes and what what are you okay with because the alternative is that you figure out in dribs and drabs all along the way. And that's not fun, right? To have to be rewrite things and redo things. So I, I always suggest get with your, spend some time with the folks that are going to be reviewing your content and get a lay of the land up front. Like what are their no goes? Um, and if you're, you're running a firm today and you're listening to this, I would say to the extent that you can summarize that for your advisor so they know right off the bat what your non-negotiables are. I think that that's really important because you should be writing for your audience, not your compliance team. Like we can all agree upon that, right? So I think it's a matter of understanding your boundaries up front so that you're not frustrated on the back end, writing for your audience versus your compliance team within those boundaries. And then I've seen, like I said, a shift and an evolution in, in what firms are allowing, you know, we now have reviews and testimonials and case studies and all of these things that have been opened up to us. Um, So I think, again, it's just a matter of of being aware of what what is okay and what isn't for your firm. All right. You touched on the um, wild, wild west about the new marketing SEC marketing rule coming down the pipe here in November. Everyone's really excited about testimonials and, you know, I'm going to get the hottest, I'm going to get Nick Saban to endorse my advisory practice. How do advisors deal with this? Like there's a lot to unpack in that rule. There are a lot of compliance 
triggers uh, once you start going down that testimonial path. So where, where are you landing on this? Are you just like, woo, open the floodgates, <laughs> let's go get testimonials galore? Or are you like, let's maybe be a, a little bit more cautious? I'm definitely on a little bit more cautious camp. I would say don't even think about testimonials, reviews, and the other things in that role if you ha don't have a good baseline for your, your marketing. Because first and foremost, you need to tell your story before you let others tell it on your behalf. So I think all the things that we've been talking about today, it's so important that you have your baselines in place, you have your very distinct story, and that you, across all of your channels, are telling it. If you feel phenomenal about that and about the service that you're providing, that's when you can start to open the doors to starting to get some of that feedback. And even in that case, and I, I don't want to sound like a stick in the mud, but I think even in that case, you want to think about you know, wading into it lightly and making sure that you feel really comfortable with the impact that it can have. Um, you had a great idea around a net promoter score. Share that with a, you know, a, a creative answer to the SEC marketing rule. Yeah. You know, as I was thinking about financial advisors and, and wading into this idea of reviews and testimonials that you've never been able to use before, I think that it might be interesting to start with a net promoter, go out to your clients and gauge. It's one question. You ask them, would you be willing to refer us to a friend? It's very simple. The answer is very black and white and it gives you a net promoter score. And I think at that point, you know, you can get a sense for how do your clients really feel about you? And if I did start to take on, you know, provide the ability to review my business, what would the outcome of that look like? And it's something that you control. If you get feedback that you want to make sure you're reviewing uh, before you're posting anything, then you have the opportunity to do that. And if you get, you pass with flying colors and it's a, a moment where you can say, you know what, this is something that I want to start promoting. So I think control, having some control around it initially versus, you know, starting to take reviews on Google is probably a good first step. That's great advice. Yeah. So as as an advisor is developing their marketing strategy, do you rank the priority of what they should wade into? Like, should I prioritize social media or a blog or a podcast or YouTube video series? Yeah, I am a huge proponent of client communication as marketing number one, um, because if you can perfect your client experience, then those referrals that you're also used to getting and you rely on will come faster and more furiously and more easily and also tracked back to the marketing that you're doing. So client communication, number one, I would say number two would be content blogs, content, because I believe that social media is supposed to be an amplification tool for the things that you're doing across your other channels. So I would start with client communication and then I would start with content and, and, and blogs and then build from there. Do you think that an advisor should be sending out a newsletter or a video to their clients? If I wanted to have a weekly cadence of communication to my clients. Should I do it in newsletter form, email form, video form? I think you should do it. I think all of the above. I think that a consistent cadence 
is important. And I think that clients probably love to see your face. So if you can do a video and, and do a video newsletter, I think that'd be phenomenal. I think the consistency is key and personalization is key. So those two things, and then the format, you should do what's best for you. But yeah. experience be consistent. does tell us Commit. Yeah. Be consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And experience does tell us that video does better. We all, we all know that. Than tech, We've got so. a pretty significant, it's like 3X open rate, at least in our data, video yep. versus newsletter. Yep. And remember, part of the reason is, oh, look, it matches my blazer. Yeah. Um, is, you know, your clients are receiving all this information from you on their phone and a lot of them are in their, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. So the font, you know, they got four words. If they're trying to read a newsletter, it's a lot easier. And they're used to receiving from their grandkids and their kids, like videos and photos. Like it's just an easier mechanism to receive information electronically. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that? I feel like advisors are also scared of video because you think you have to have some elaborate setup to do it well. So we're opening our first ever intentionally office. And I was just texting back and forth with someone. I'm, I said, Hey, I want to have a little studio. Can you help me set it up? And you know what he said? He said, the best tool you can have to do video is your iPhone. And this is someone who runs video for our industry at like all the major conferences with the big setups. And he said, the best camera you can have is the one that's on your iPhone. Yep. Thank you, Steve Jobs. Yeah. I mean, it's true. The quality is unbelievable. It is. And it's it, unbelievable. You know, and it makes it okay, so much so easier. For, yep. What is your biggest pet peeve about marketing in our industry? Wow. Okay. <laughs> my, my biggest pet peeve, huh, I think, is the fact that there's so little value placed on what marketing can achieve for your business. I think that for so long, advisors have seen marketing as write a couple blogs, post to social media, call it a day, and then still go back to my referrals. Yeah. I think that that hurts my heart <laughs> because I know that if you put a plan, a very intentional, thoughtful plan in place that's tied back to goals that you set for your business and yourself, just like anything else you would do in, in life, you're trying to lose weight, you put a plan in place. You figure out how many miles do I need to run on? What do I need to eat? Like, this is not rocket science. So we need to think about marketing the same way we do all these other things in our lives. And I think we need to, this industry needs to come to the realization that it takes resources and it takes a commitment, but that the end result of it will be worthwhile if you do it right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. All right. I want to talk a little bit like about risk-taking. Yeah. So I want to know what is the biggest, craziest marketing idea that you, um, everyone told you you were crazy and you did it anyway and it worked. <laughs> okay. So Orion, Omaha, Nebraska, Eric Clark, very, he's very buttoned up, very serious man. I put on a conference and through a 90s rap concert for our industry <laughs> with Rob Bass and Young MC and, <laughs> and Coolio so and good. Dougie Fresh. And everybody said, you're going to be fired. And <laughs> I thought I was going to be fired too, actually. <laughs> Not going to lie. 
But it ended up sort of shifting the view of Orion from this Omaha-based small company, I think. I think it was the start of a shift to this like much larger, more connected, um, more relevant business. And on this, can I tell you another one? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So we're planning for conferences. We all love amazing speakers, right? So when I was at eMoney, Fidelity had just acquired eMoney. And I think you, you, we can all talk openly about the difference between, you know, a tech company and button, very buttoned up Fidelity. So my keynote was Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh my gosh. I just finished his book. 12 and a half questions. And and Abby Johnson was sitting in the front row. I had met her for the first time. This is my debut as their head of marketing. And (laughs) Gary, as I'm walking up to stage to introduce him, he said, I can curse. Right. And I said, yeah, just not the F bomb. And he got up there and the first thing he did, I should have known. I should have known. Right. And I looked at Abby and she looked at me and I thought that was the end, but he got a standing ovation. And I think because everyone in the room was happy, all the Fidelity folks were happy. Okay. Quick plug. Literally, I just finished his book on Sunday. If you haven't read 12 and a half questions and you're leading teams or are interested in asking yourself some probing questions, that it's a fast read and he does a phenomenal job of all these anecdotal stories so that you can have like all kinds of different, you know, leadership questions and scale questions and growth questions in different contexts answered. He's a phenomenal speaker. And if you ever put on a conference, maybe we need to cook up a conference. Um, (laughs) I would love to see him. Gosh, he would be good. He was amazing. It was the first standing ovation that I had ever seen at an advisor conference. And this was 10 years ago, but yeah, it was amazing. So he, he was, was early days on his provocative. Yes. That is awesome. Yes. You know, and it's <laughs> funny that you, you know, those are two phenomenal examples because I've watched advisors where they've taken a risk in marketing and really it's been, they look back on it and they're like, that was the most successful thing I've done. Yeah. So it is, you know, don't be afraid. You know your you know your audience. You know your clients. Like you yeah. knew advisors were hungry for that. Yeah. They were kind of exhausted by, oh, I'm gonna go to another conference and hear the same old, same old. Yes. I think at the end of the day, we need to remember to treat our consumers, our clients, our prospects like people in the way yeah. you write, in the way you think, in the way you market, in the way you provide a customer experience. They're they're people too, just like you. They think about the world just like you do. And I think sometimes our industry tends to forget that. Forget that. Our tagline for all the branding and marketing we work we do uh, with advisors is people connect with people. Yep. It's very so simple. True. Yeah. Very true. All right. Wrapping up. I always yes. like the 24-hour clock. Uh, you listen to this podcast. What should an advisor do in the next 24 hours? You got it. All right. Number one, Google yourself. What is coming up? The first thing that you Google, are you driving traffic? When people are searching for you, are is the traffic going to somewhere you don't want it to go? I had a team member of mine tell me the other day, hey, Kelly, it's great. If you speak on Shannon's masterclass and people Google you, they are not landing on intentionally. So shame on me, but know what happens when people search for you. The second, and we talked about this earlier today, is take a snapshot of your brand and talk to people around you and ask, is this 
a true representation of who I am. And make sure that you're talking to people who are not going to sugarcoat for you, the people who keep it real, the people who are honest with you and ask the hard questions. And if the answer to that is no, then let's figure out how do we get to a place where you feel like your brand is a true representation of, of what you want to project into the world and the clients that you want to bring to you. I love those. My 24 hour challenge to you is to pop open a, your iPhone and record a 60 to 90 second video. And I don't really care what the topic is, why I became a financial advisor, the last book I read, I, a quote that inspires you, a quick story of a client that you've helped. Just pop open your iPhone and record one video and share it on social media because the first step is definitely the hardest on marketing. We're sure. Awesome. Kelly, love being with you. You're just amazing rock star. Congratulations to you and Megan on co-founding intentionally and bringing such an unbelievable company to the industry. We needed it. We needed you guys. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Blueprint podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy. Information here may be provided in part by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guests nor RFG advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, LLC, RFG Advisory or RFG, a registered investment advisor. Private client services and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG Advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission, nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.